The Bible says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now I know those may not be the words that you want to hear as we begin a sermon today. Those are sober words, but they are accurate words. If we live for Christ, we will encounter persecution on an individual level from friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors. And we need to understand that when that happens, that we're not doing something wrong, that we're actually doing something right. That if we're living for the Lord and we encounter persecution, it's not that we're doing something wrong, but that we're actually doing something right. Not that we're inviting it, but this is what the Bible says. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now the severity of that persecution will vary depending on the culture. But you know there's a common thread in most cultures that they want the church to submit to its supreme beliefs and practices and values, right? It wants the church to submit to those values. And instead of saying Jesus is Lord, they, the culture, the surrounding culture would like the church to say whatever those values are, those are Lord. And so, for example, you look in the first century when this uh, New Testament was written, the church existed in a culture of the Roman Empire where they pressed in on the church that the church would acknowledge as all the citizens did of the empire that the Roman emperor was divine. There was a lot of pressure to do that. But the church would not do so. They wanted to say, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. Amen? And that has continued throughout time to the present day. You go, for example, in modern times, one thinks of China, whose government, as communist government, is officially atheistic, and allegiance to the government is absolute. It demands, for example, that in a church service, that the communist anthem is played before the church service begins, and that there are pictures of President Xi Jinping on the walls to remind them of who is Lord. They want everyone to know that the communist state is Lord, not Jesus. But the true church will resist that, won't it? And say Jesus is Lord. But they will face persecution, won't it? While not to the same degree, there's growing persecution in Western nations that are increasingly secular, like the United States. And in particular, Christians can lose a job, face fines, or get kicked out of certain degree programs for holding biblical convictions about sexuality and gender. Our secular culture wants the church to submit to its supreme values and beliefs that sexual liberty is Lord, not Jesus. The church must hold to the word of God and say Jesus is Lord. We love all people. We will serve all people, but Jesus is Lord of our lives. But we will face persecution. We are facing persecution. And the church will continue to face persecution 
in my estimation. A few weeks ago, I don't know if you heard about it, but Kristen Wagner spoke at nearby Yale Law School about free speech. She's an attorney for the Alliance Defending Freedom, which according to its website is the world's largest legal organization committed to protecting religious freedom, free speech, marriage and family, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. Alliance Defending Freedom is the real deal. Uh, ADF has won 13 cases before the Supreme Court since 2011. That's amazing. And Wagner is one of their top lawyers. She was invited by the Yale Federalist Society along with a woman named Monica Miller. Wagner is a Christian and Miller is an atheist, but they do share the cherished value of free speech. And they wanted to demonstrate how two opposing views can have a civil conversation in the United States in 2022. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We would agree with that. That's what this nation is built upon, right? Well, a large group of Yale Law students, not just students, but Yale Law students protested, claiming that ADF is a hate group for its defense of people's religious beliefs about sexuality and, and gender. The law students created such a, almost uh, describe it as a mob scene that it ultimately demanded a police escort to safely uh, bring Wagner out of the building. She later wrote about the experience. I certainly didn't think I'd be stepping onto friendly terrain, but I was dismayed by the volatility of the law students. A mob of around 120 students hurled insults and obscenities, shouted down the speakers, and entered and exited the room while chanting and pounding on the walls of the classroom. Instead of correcting the students, Yale University issued a weak statement basically defending the students. Wagley, Wagner astutely noted that these are our future lawyers, jurists, legislators, and corporate executives. So the church in America is experiencing persecution, and I think it will likely increase. So... How do we deal with persecution as a church? How do we endure persecution on an individual level with our family, friends, workplaces, and so forth, as well as the culture at large? As parents, how do we guide our children and interact with uh, school officials if these matters become an issue? Well, what we need is to hear from the Word of God. Amen? Because the word of God gives us truth and hope as followers of Christ. And our passage today is timelessly relevant and will equip us to endure persecution. So please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our series on this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to a group of churches in Asia Minor. As I've said before, in chapter 211 and following, Peter changes his focus and starts describing how 
Christians are to interact with non-Christians. And he, he guides this all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. We've already seen Peter discuss the relationship between citizens and government, between uh, masters and slaves that was very common in the Roman Empire, as well as husbands and wives. And in each case, kind of the key issue is how do Christians interact with those around them who are non-Christians, particularly those who might persecute them for their faith. Now, Peter moves from kind of focusing on specific topics and specific groups within the church, and now he addresses the entire church about enduring persecution. And he gives us three characteristics to endure persecution. Godly living, boldness, and defending the faith. Godly living, boldness, and defending the faith. As we implement these characteristics, I believe that the church can live out its calling as more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So the first characteristic of enduring persecution is godly living. Godly living. In verse 8, Peter focuses first on how we treat each other within the church. And then in verse 9, he's going to broaden it out to see how we interact with our persecutors. But in verse 8, we're going to see that he focuses on our interrelationships within the church. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, we just saw here, Peter mentions five different virtues. I'm just going to focus on two of them here this morning. The first that he brings out is that we need to have unity of mind. You say, why is unity important in the midst of persecution? Well, as the church experiences persecution from outside, there is a real danger, a real temptation for the church to divide on the inside. In other words, as pressure mounts from a surrounding culture, the church can be tempted to conform to the outside world as well as turn on each other. Paul says basically the same thing to the Philippian church. Again, a church that was experiencing persecution, but listen to what Paul says to them. In Philippians 1, 27, 28, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. These, vi- these warnings, church, are vital. And I think it is no coincidence, no coincidence, that as the church has experienced more persecution lately, that there is more division in the church. I would say in my 25 plus years of being a Christian, that the church is divided now more than I have ever seen. And I think you can say a large part of that is because the kind of the dominant secular culture is pressing its views on the church and is causing us to divide as we feel the pressure to compromise our views and we're tempted to turn on each other. We have to strive for unity. Unity does not just happen, does it? You have to really work at it to make sure there is unity. And that means we have to hold to biblical teaching. The answer, hear me out, is not to abandon what the Bible teaches to appease the culture. Amen? We have to stand firm on the word of God. And moreover, 
We have to be able to develop a discernment that there are also secondary issues that are being pressed in on the church where godly Christians differ about things. And we have to say, you know what? We're going to stay united. There are secondary matters, i.e. vaccines, face masks, and things like that, where godly Christians differ about these matters. We have to push that to the side, have our views, have our conversations, but stay united on the gospel. Otherwise, what we do is we're saying those secondary matters are more important to us than Christ. And that is exactly the message that we do not want to declare to the world. We want to say that Christ is more important than all those things, and we're going to show you how we can have differences but still stay united. Amen? Amen. So in addition to unity of mind, just also want to focus on brotherly love. We're to love each other, guys. Look around this room. We're to not just like each other. We're to love each other. Have a love for each other. A love that runs so strong that we can overlook those secondary differences, those secondary matters, that it really doesn't matter when we think about the love that we have for each other. And then practically speaking, we know love isn't just an emotion, it's actions too, right? Practically speaking, the church must be a place in the midst of persecution where we draw strength from one another. Some might need instruction to understand, why am I going through persecution? What does the Bible teach about this stuff? Some might need prayer because they're really discouraged, right? Wondering what's happening in their lives. They're sad about some comments that a family member or a friend or a co-worker is making. They need prayer. Maybe they need wisdom because they're going through a difficult situation and they're not sure whether I take a stand about this or maybe it's not necessary in this case and I can just kind of let that thing go. We need wisdom in these matters, don't we? It's not always black and white. Some might need fellowship as they feel isolated because of persecution. Some might need financial support because they've lost a job because of persecution. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I wonder sometimes if the church doesn't take a stronger stand in the midst of persecution because we feel very isolated, don't we? It's all by ourselves. You know, we, we have to do this thing by ourselves. That's not the will of God, is it? It's not me versus the world. It's not, oh, look at me, I'm going to stand against the culture or the government or whatever it might be. It's the church. We stand together. We give each other the emotional, the spiritual, the financial support so that we can stand strong in the midst of persecution. Amen? Amen. Now in verse 9, Peter focuses, he kind of, okay, changes gears here again, and he talks about how the church relates to its persecutors. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for, this is, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So we are commanded to bless our persecutors. That's right. That's what the Bible teaches. That's not easy, is it? But that's exactly what the Word of God says. And Peter isn't making something up on his own. He's just simply echoing what Jesus taught. 
in Luke 6, 27 to 28, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Romans 12, 14, Paul agrees. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So in response to persecution, we are to bless. And as he says there, he says the, he, he uses a word, begins with C, we're called to this. We are called by God to do this. Church, this is the job description of a Christian. We are called to bless those who persecute us. We are to love our enemies and to pray for them. So let me just ask you, there's someone in your life that persecutes you. Perhaps someone who no longer wants to be your friend because of your Christian beliefs. Maybe your boss has passed you over for promotion because of your Christian stance. Maybe it's a family member, coworker, who just loves to needle you and poke at you and make fun of your faith. I know it's hard. It's very difficult. But God's word tells us that we need to love our enemies. We need to pray for them. And we need to bless them. And if you do, you will obtain a blessing. In verse 10 and 12, Peter's going to elaborate on this blessing. Keep tracking with me. He says in verse 10 to 12, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, scholars debate whether Peter is talking about a blessing here in this life or whether he's talking about the new creation or both. I kind of think both. Regardless, though, what he's getting at is that if we want to see God's blessing, don't speak evil of those who persecute you. Don't lie about them, right? Instead, let us seek peace and actually pursue it. Here's something to think about. I think we actually will suffer less if we live out what God tells us to do. You know, there's no badge of honor that we're supposed to seek about kind of getting the situation to be as bad as possible by being hostile to persecutors and by being belligerent to them so that we sort of just, you know, we, we, we get a martyr's complex or whatever it might be. The Bible calls us to be peacemakers, doesn't it? We're to seek this out, to seek peace. We're going to still experience persecution, we'll see in a second. But I think sometimes people develop that mentality. They just want to say, hey, bring it on. I want it to be as bad as possible. That's not honoring to God. We're to seek good and to pursue peace. In verse 12, Peter mentions that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's a great verse, isn't it? Now, obviously, the Lord knows everything. He knows the righteous and the unrighteous. But what Peter is getting at here is that he is attentive to his people. He has a covenant relationship with them, and he will be attentive to you, and he will hear your prayers. Be encouraged by that. God is not doing this this morning to you. You might be in a situation in your house where you've had to endure persecution for a number of years or in a workplace or school or whatever it might be. 
God has not closed his ears to your cries. He is at work. Do not give up on him. Amen? He's not forgotten. But in contrast, God is against those who do evil. Very strong words and a sober reminder that the power of our prayers are connected to our level of obedience to God. If we're going to disregard the word of God and then seek him in prayer, we shouldn't be confident of answers. We need to live out what God has called us to do. So the first characteristic of enduring persecution is godly living both within the church as well as with persecutors. Let's look at the second characteristic of enduring persecution is boldness. Boldness. Verses 13 and 14, Peter says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So what he's saying here is that you will still be you will still endure persecution no matter how you live you still will endure it but you will be blessed if you do it for righteousness sake if you do it for the sake of Christ you will be blessed and again Peter is not just making up his own words here he's echoing what Jesus said at the sermon on the mount Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Suffering is not pleasant. That's why we call it suffering, right? It's not easy. But you will be blessed when it is for Christ. You say, how are we blessed? We will be blessed because Christ will meet you in the midst of that. And his presence will overwhelm any suffering that you might experience. Peter knew this well. In Acts 5, Peter was in prison along with the other apostles. And they were beaten. And then they were released. And it says in verse 41, this very intriguing verse. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Do you see that? They were blessed because Christ drew near to them in the midst of their suffering. And since we're going to be blessed, Peter tells us not to fear our persecutors. The church has to be bold in the face of persecution. The church should not cower in the face of persecution. Again, not that you invite it, not that you seek it out, but God wants the church to be bold. We should be bold because if we are persecuted, Jesus promises that we will be blessed. We will experience his presence in an overwhelming way. And even if our lives are taken... We will go to be with Christ, which Paul says is far better. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? The church is truly triumphant, and we must live this out with boldness when we face persecution of any kind. Past week, I was reading an article by Francis Chan, a Christian leader. He told about his meeting with one of the 23 
South Korean missionaries who were actually held hostage by the Afghanistan Taliban back in 2007, if you remember that story. Two of the missionaries were executed, but the, the rest were eventually released. And so Chan met with one of these missionaries who survived, and he was share, they were talking and, and relating the events and so forth, and this Korean missionary shared how some of the other missionaries have later come to him, and you know what they told him? They said, you know, there are times when we wish we were still being held hostage. He said, well, what, did I hear that right? What did you just say? He said, no, we, we wish sometimes we were still being held hostage. Why on earth would they possibly say that? They say it because the presence of Christ was so real and so tangible when they suffered that persecution. And they candidly admitted, these missionaries, that they would not experienced that same intimacy since their release. The, the, the presence of Christ was so overwhelming that these missionaries preferred that than normal life with our kind of more pleasant circumstances. But you know, if that sounds strange to us, it really shouldn't. Because you know, sometimes when we go through a really tough time, and God just kind of peels back the, the pride and the layers we normally carry out. And we're just really desperate for God. Have you ever noticed the Lord meet you in such a real and powerful way? And so if we suffer persecution, we can trust that God will draw near to us. And as we just said, even if we have to die, we go to be with Christ. We should have no fear. We should be bold. In fact, the, the Korean missionary shared how the Taliban told the group that they were going to be executed one person at a time. And the missionaries actually argued over who would die first. Chan said, quote, This man I was having dinner with was saying to the other guy, Look, I know they're going to kill us one at a time. I die first, Chan recalled. The other man said, no, I die first. The first guy is going, no, I'm your elder. <laughs> I die first. Then the other man says, no, you have not been ordained as a pastor. I'm an ordained minister. I die first. <laughs> so we don't seek persecution. But we can have a boldness in whatever we face. Because Christ will meet us with his presence. So to endure persecution, we need godly living in boldness. The third part is defending the faith in persecution, defending the faith. Let's read verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So to start, Peter says we're to honor Christ the Lord as holy. How do we do that? Well, he says that we're to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. That Greek word, apologia, means defense. And that's where we get our word, apologetics. So we always need to be ready. You never know when the day comes when someone might ask you about your faith. As Peter says, we should be prepared for anyone who asks us. Now, in the context, Peter is speaking about persecution. But I tend to think that, you know what, if we're supposed to be ready in the face of persecution 
that I think we should be ready in just normal daily life, right? That when people have questions about the faith, we should be ready to say something. You say, well, what exactly do we need to be talking about? I like what one writer says. He says, every believer should grasp the essentials of the faith and should have the ability to explain to others why they think the Christian faith is true. Now, notice that Peter does not say, you have to be able to answer every possible question that comes your way. Does Peter say that? He doesn't say that, does he? Because none of us would be able to speak then. He just simply says that we need to know what our faith is and be able to explain it to other people. Not so that we can run around and win debates. I like to debate, like to argue, but I think through time God has taught me that it's not about a debate. It's not about winning an argument. We're there to help people who have honest questions and to point them to the Savior. Amen? And God has chosen us, little old us, to be his mouthpieces to point people to Christ. Not people who just want to debate and argue with you all day, but people who have genuine questions. Now, as Peter says, we must speak with gentleness and respect. We've already encountered these two words already in Peter so far. The word gentle we talked about last time, speaking of a wife having a gentle spirit. The word means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Basically, it means humility. Jesus used the same word when he spoke of himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so when you and I defend the faith, when we share these things with others, we're to be humble, aren't we? We're to be humble. That's not always easy because sometimes you meet people that have really bizarre, contradictory beliefs. And we can kind of look at them and be prideful and say, wow, why do you believe that stuff there? But no, God calls us to be humble, doesn't he? We're not any smarter than anybody else. We're not any better than anybody else. God has just shown us the truth and he wants us to pass it on to others. Peter also says we're supposed to be, he mentions the word respect. I've mentioned this before. It's actually better translated fear, speaking of the fear of God that runs throughout this letter. 1 Peter 1.17 says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So the fear of God should affect the entirety of our lives. And Peter's all, he's already been pointing this out a bunch of different ways in this letter. So likewise, when we are speaking of the faith to others, we should do it out of a fear of God. That way, you know what? Whether we're really busy, we're still going to do it. Whether we're afraid of what they might say, we're going to fear God and not fear man. Verse 16 and 17, Peter gives some closing words. He says, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So even if you are slandered, the Bible promises that eventually your accusers will be put to shame. It might happen in this lifetime. It might happen on Judgment Day. But take comfort in knowing that God will vindicate you. And he is the only one that really matters. Amen? And then finally, let us suffer for doing good rather than evil. It's no bragging point to do something evil and say, well, I'm suffering for it, right? God wants us to suffer for doing good. And yes, it is his will sometimes for his church to suffer. Not that he directly causes it, but he uses it for his glory 
and for his purposes. As we close, I just spoke about defending the essentials of the faith. Someone might be saying, well, what exactly are those essentials? What are the essentials of the faith? I'd like to read what is commonly called the Nicene Creed. Ever heard of that before? This creed is the result of two church councils in 325 and 381 A.D., what makes the Nicene Creed so significant is it, it was a, the product, the first time that the universal church got together and hammered out what it means for Christians to believe what they believe. And its teaching has been affirmed by Christians throughout the centuries as a faithful summary of our faith. So I'd like to read, read the creed. And I would like you guys to follow along on the screen. It's going to be behind me there. And as we do it, like to encourage you to really resolve to know these truths. Amen? Amen? To know them in your heart, to embrace them in your heart, and to have a hunger and a desire to share them when people ask you for the hope that you have within you. So let me read the Nicene Creed together as we close our service. We believe in one God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, lowercase c, universal in that sense. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. And may God help us to deeply embrace these truths and to endure persecution, firmly resolve to them, and be willing to share with the world with great boldness about the hope that we have within us. Amen, church? Amen. 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 and amen. And just a final word. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you've heard what was just read about what is it that Christians believe. And you say, you know what? I've come to a place where I would like to embrace that as well. Jesus tells us how we become his followers. And if that's you today, I'd like, to hear, I'd like for you to hear what I have to say as we close out. Jesus tells us that if you want to follow him, if you want to become his disciple, 
You need to see and understand that you have sinned against this God that we just recited this creed about. And that your sin brings punishment because of he, the fact that he is a righteous God. And you need to turn from that sin. And when you do, God will wipe away all of that sin and shame in your life. So you need to turn from your sin. And the Bible says you also need to believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. And he's standing here today. For anyone who will come to him, he will receive you as your Lord and Savior. Come to him today. Don't wait another day. Come fleeing into the arms of Christ, and he will receive you, and you will never regret it. Even if you face hardship, even if you face persecution, Jesus is worth it all. He is worth it all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord God in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that it would impact each one of us here today in the many different ways that you see fit. Lord, for someone here today who's never trusted you as Savior and Lord, may today be that day of salvation. They may not just have heard about these things, but today's the day they want to embrace you as Savior and as Lord. Lord, we pray for us as your church. Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but we want to stand firm as your church. We pray that you would help us to have and to display godly living, to have unity amongst ourselves, to have a brotherly love. And Lord, you would help us to bless our persecutors. We need grace. That is not easy to do. But help us to live differently than the world. God, we pray that you would give us boldness, a holy boldness, not something we conjure in ourselves to draw attention to us, but a boldness that comes from you as we realize that Jesus is Lord and there are no other lords, no matter what the culture might dictate to us. Help us to be bold, Lord. And Lord, we pray that we would share with others, that we would heed that charge and be able to share with others this faith that we enjoy. Help us to study and make ourselves approved and diligent, Lord, so that we have something to say when we have those questions. God, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. May your church stand as you've called it to be, a glorious bride waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.